Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Podcast. This is The Act Out, Season 1, Episode 4, Lamar Jones. If this is your first time checking out the Podcast Network, please head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that said, on to the podcast hey everybody welcome to the act out from open mic to the big stage comedians tell stories they've made hey everyone this is duck today i have a very special guest he's hilarious he's very funny he's a very nice guy george red speaks now we got to talk about this real quick george how are you doing i'm doing good how you doing doing excellent the name george red speaks is that the full name or is that like the act or what is it that's the full name man that's the full name it's funny how it started the way it started was because before i was in comedy as far as a stand-up my goal was to become a comedian and the way i thought would be the best process was i started a podcast and the podcast was called george red speaks very simple Right. And red, I was kind of on the run from the law. (laughs) (laughs) So my my real last name is Rojas, which means red, but plural. Right. But reds just sounds like the candy or that that fake beer that they make, you know, the cider. So I was just like red with two D's like big titties. That sounds better. (laughs) And then speaks and it kind of blew up, man. And then uh, so when I started doing comedy, people were coming to see George Red Speaks. And I was able to sell tickets a lot faster and kind of just like stay under the radar from the from the laws. Oh, damn. Until I turn myself in. <laughs> we kind of got to talk about that, too. We're here yeah. today because you have a show coming up on 23rd, 7.30 p.m. It's going to be a Thanksgiving-themed show. Giggles Before Gobbles is what it's called, yeah, right? Giggles Did- Before Gobbles is the day before Thanksgiving. Yes, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be you and a bunch of other local comedians just yeah. absolutely killing it before Thanksgiving. Everyone, you need to get your tickets. Come out. Check it out. So that's why we're here to talk a little bit about George Red and then talk about just comedy in general. It's going to be awesome. So you are a podcaster already. You've done this multiple times, I take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what was the podcast? Well, it was George Red Speaks, and uh, what I would do was I brought in comedians, but I also brought in different local talent. Here in DFW, I started off in music and then went to radio, and then from radio to television, and then I had my own TV show called Infamous Rhythm TV. Holy So then I had all these personalities that were well-known, and my brother, that was G Spook, he had started at K104 and then went to 97.9 The Beat before he passed away a couple a couple years ago, but... I'd have little Brownie, Joel Reynolds, just different personalities in the DFW and outside of the DFW. And we would talk about, I would basically start arguments with them. <laughs> so, it makes the best radio. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. So like whatever position they took, I just took the complete opposite and just really, really worked up the room. And sometimes I'd get like four or five guests at one time and people were throwing stuff at each other. <laughs> And then every time I said something funny, what I would do is I would write it down. And I was just like, okay, because I didn't even know open mics existed. Really? Which was crazy because I was producing comedy shows with a couple of comics, right, for like seven years prior. But no one ever mentioned an open mic to me. I never told them I wanted to be a comedian. You know, everything was kind of like in my head. And then when I did ask, the funny thing was they were very reserved about information. So I never knew. So my first show, I I just booked myself with a couple of other bigger comedians. And I did the main room at the, the House of Blues. Yeah, we opened up for the Ruby Review Girls, which is a burlesque show. 
and uh, we did stand up. That's where I met Jamie Gravy. I booked him. That was the first time I ever booked Jamie. We became very good friends, and there was twelve hundred people there. Wow, it was insane. Wow, so you never even hit an open mic before you never. went on stage for the first time. Did you host? <clears throat> did you feature? Did you headline? What I just opened. You just opened for it? Yeah, I did seven minutes. Wow. Yeah. Seven minutes. Never yeah. been on a stage in the. Well, I've been, been on stage, but I had never done comedy. Never done comedy. Yeah, I had never been on stage to get laughs. Now tell me the truth. Did you crush it or did you bomb? It seemed like everything went well. I mean, everyone told me I did a good job. I mean, that video was still somewhere online somewhere where I'm coming off stage and I'm just like, I finally did it. I'm like high out of my my yes. mind and I'm just like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Now, were you nervous before you walked on stage? Or yeah, I'm you... always nervous. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm always nervous all the time, you know, and I think... When, when you don't feel those nerves, I'm never nervous if I'm going to do good or not. Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to do pretty good, you know, because I know my material, right? And all that fear, I work out before I get there, right? I was more nervous about trying something new. I was more nervous about, you know, if the people were going to like me, if all the tickets were going to be sold. Yeah. It's a big room to fill, you know? I was more nervous about the production than anything. But of course, you know... I'm nervous about new jokes and stuff like that before I get up there and I start new material. That's kind of a cool place to healthy. be. That, to be producing it and be so busy with all this stuff, you don't really worry about what the main thing is you're going to do, which is host it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it sounds like you were taking on a whole world of stuff, so that was just an addition too. Yeah. But it sounds like you've been producing stuff for a long time. Is yeah, right? since I was – actually, I, I lied my way into this club. Oh, yeah? yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, I was 17 years old, and I used to have older friends. I used to throw these big old parties, hotel parties, and I had this connection to alcohol and stuff. So a lot of underage people knew me, <laughs> like all the seniors and stuff. So by the time I became a senior, a lot of those guys were in college or whatever. So I met their older brothers and stuff, and they would take me out to the clubs and to different bars. And there was this one bar in Fort Worth off a of white settlement. We went on a Friday. They would let me drink there, right? And it was a Friday night, and literally there's four people there, right? And it's our table. And I'm looking around, I'm like, I could throw a party here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I could make some money. I didn't know what production was, none of that. I was still in high school. And uh, so I went to the only two guys that were at the bar, and it's like, hey, uh, which one of y'all guys is the owner? And it was an Asian guy named Tony. So he goes, I am, right? He goes, this is my GM, this is Gomez. And I told him, I said, hey, man, I could throw y'all a party here. You know, it's Friday night. And I said, I could really pack it out. And then they kind of just kind of laughed me and brushed me off. And I said, no, I'm serious. Like, for real, I would really like to work something out. And he goes, I'll give you a Wednesday. He goes, we're really slow on Wednesdays. I'll give you a Wednesday. So I called it Wicked Wednesdays. Very nice. Found me a DJ, talked to a whole bunch of girls, went to the colleges and stuff. And then I just sold it out. So you're very much a, an extrovert, I take it then. Or do you consider yourself an introvert? Because you're a comedian. Um, a lot of comedians are introverts that yeah. want to be extroverts. But yeah. it sounds like you're very connected to people. Well, I, I'm an extrovert when I need to be. But, like, if I'm at home and I'm around family and I'm just, like, I'm in my own brain. Yeah. That's why none of my relationships work. They're always just like, where are you at? <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> I apologize. We're not supposed to swear on this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been the one cursing up a storm. You know, for me, like that is something that I want to talk about kind of really quick. Where you were born and raised uh -huh. uh, and what were you like when you were a child? Were you a funny child? Were you an introvert? Were you? 
what were you like? I acted out a lot. I was a uh, I was from West Texas, but we moved around a lot too. I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid. Oh, right on. Yeah, so like, so you're a hellion. You're a troublemaker. Yeah, from the devil. You know, <laughs> I was born to be my father's curse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, you want to act holy? I got to come over here and f- your whole career up, you know? I'm sorry, cuz. So anyway, in West Texas, Lubbock, Texas, back then it was a little town. But we traveled all the time. Basically lived on the road. So my dad being an evangelist is kind of like, it's it's very parallel to being a comedian, you know, you live on the road from hotel to hotel. I remember we used to take off and we wouldn't even make it back home until like three months later. Oh, wow. You know? Wow. What was that like? Is that why you think you acted out so much? You were looking for attention or? Mm, just... I don't think I was looking for attention. I just didn't think I was just a goofy kid and yeah. I just didn't, I didn't know where the lines were drawn. You know, again, I'm, I'm always in my head. I wouldn't take in consideration how other people felt, how I was acting. You know, when I acted out, I didn't act out to hurt no one. I didn't, I never talked back to my parents, like swore at them or nothing like that. My act out was just, just being a kid, just having fun, you know? And I was an only child too. So like, you know, then I was an only child. So like, you're kind of raised in your own brain because there's no friends, you're not in school, not in a regular public school, you know? Mm -hmm. You're not in that setting. So my social skills are probably different i was more self-entertaining yeah you know so you were trying to have a good time i was having pe- a good time and if people want to come along for the ride yeah. that's totally fine. Uh, i was having a good time they weren't having a good time that i was having a good time how about the kids that you were around like it sounds like you might have had like a rotating school situation or kind of like mm-hmm. were you homeschooled or what was it like in the beginning i was homeschooled to like second grade and then my mom was just like we got to put this kid in school man you know <laughs> But by second grade, you know, it took me a really, really long time to learn people and how to act around other kids and stuff. And and I mean, I had, I guess, for, I played with everybody, but I had a lot of problems, too. A lot of insecurities mm-hmm. as a child because I was just like, all these kids grew up together. I didn't grow up with them. Right. You know, I was still the outsider, yeah. you know, but I was, I was okay with that, I guess, you know. Did you use comedy at that time? Is that man, the opening of it? Well, the opening of it was my dad. My dad is, he's a goofball, man. He's yeah. the most hilarious person, I think, you know, him and my uncles, and they're always just dogging on each other and ball busting, you know. He has uh, seven brothers and three oh, sisters. Wow. Yeah, so it's a big family, yeah. so you could just tell you know, the competitiveness with them and stuff. And then with me and my cousins and, and things, all we did was just hurt each other <laughs> verbally, you know? And so you grow up with that, you know? And, uh, but my dad, because him being way more religious then than he is now, I mean, he still believes in God and all. He's still a minister and stuff and travels the world, but he's not as, as strict or like, when I talk religious, I mean like, uh, like we couldn't watch certain cartoons. It was stupid, yeah. right? And I know uh, I understand that we were the same way. We couldn't yeah. watch Smurfs. Yeah, everything we, had to yeah. be PG or yeah. G, yeah. right? Absolutely. And so, my dad's favorite, like we had a whole collection of VHSs, right? It was all Three Stooges. It was all Bob Hope. It was all Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, uh, Lucille Ball, and you know, uh, just all these different the, like old school comedies. So I grew up and 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 the person I looked up to was Jerry Lewis. Yeah. So I would act out all his scenes, you know? <laughs> and my parents would be like, hey, Mio, come here. 
show everyone do the Jerry Lewis thing. <laughs> there I am running in the walls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's freaking awesome. So you got kind of you kind of grew up on the classics when it comes to comedy. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Was there anything modern that ever came through? You know, was it like a Bill mm-hmm. Hicks or or, or no? Uh, uh, that all came in when I became a teenager, uh, very close to when I got kicked out. You know, you got became, kicked. Oh, kicked out of the house. Yeah. You were you were troublemaker a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't a troublemaker until they try to push their things on me, you know, as a young man when I thought I was doing pretty good, right? Enjoying this episode? Go check out Geekster, a dating and friends app for geeks that focuses on common interests as a way to make meaningful connections. Download today on the App Store or click the link in the description to find out more. Geekster, this is what happens when nerds collide. Geekster, available on iOS and Android. Anyway, not to get into all that, but um, when I was 13 years old and my uncle Israel, right, my dad's brother, was taking me and my cousin Richard to go watch Mortal Kombat Live. He got us tickets. Very nice. So this was going to be like really, really cool. And we get to hang out with our uncle, which is the youngest uncle, right? And he's like the coolest one, right? Right, right, right. So he had put all types of music on. And man, it was the first time I really fell in love with like R&B, hip hop, and even Tejano music, right? Yeah. Because he liked it. And plus, I never heard none of that because I was in church, you know? <laughs> so it was all hymns and gospels and like... Well, I mean, they have, you know, Christian rap and Christian rock oh, and yeah. all that stuff, you know? But then when we got back, back to the house, he put on stand-up comedy. It was Martin Lawrence, You So Crazy. And Martin goes up there and he just, and I'm laughing like crazy. And I'm like, how people can talk like this? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I was just like, my mind just exploded. Ever since then, I stayed up that night till the sun came up and I watched all his DVDs. Oh, wow. Not uh, Martin Lawrence's, but all his stand-up DVDs. So there were stand-ups in there that I didn't know. Then after that, I just became like a comedy junkie, you know? And that was always there, but I still didn't know the process of being that. I thought it was just some guy go up there and just talk. Yeah, yeah. You know, not, I, not rehearsed, not written down, none of that. I didn't know none yeah. of that, yeah. Yeah, and it sounds like that night was like a religious experience almost it was. to you. Like it it was changed life-changing. my life. Yeah, life-changing. It's so cool. So what do you think drew you to it at that time? When you saw that, did you think, I can do that? Or just think, oh, my God, this is making me laugh. This is making me feel good. You know, we're, we're I was just it. amazed by it. I, I liked everything funny. Anything that was funny, I was attracted to, right? All the National Lampoons and all that. And, I mean, the list goes on. And I was always looking for the next comedy movie or anything. Anything that was comedy was my favorite. Uh, I liked it more than action. Liked it more than romances or whatever, you know. I just, you know, that and cartoons, you know. I'm just a big cartoon <laughs> head, too. You know, I love Bugs Bunny. I love, you know, Elmer Fudd. And, you know, I wasn't a big Mickey Mouse because to me that wasn't that funny. Dude, there's something about Mickey Mouse that's just not great. And yeah. I, I'm going on record and saying that right now. Yeah. If you want to fight me, it's fine. But I was Looney Tunes all the yeah. way when I was growing up. I liked how, like, Bugs Bunny used to hold a carrot like a cigar, yeah. you know. that, that he was, was a funny. trickster, too. You yeah, know what I mean? he's he was, a prankster, yeah. He's always getting people. It's freaking awesome yeah uh, that kind of plays into your personality on stage though mm. uh i don't know if you separate the two if you feel like you are the same person or it's a character or how you how you approach uh, george Wright speaks but you're you're kind of mischievous i'm very mischievous yeah, <laughs> yeah. nah yeah well like i said you know after getting kicked out and stuff like that then you know growing up on the street and stuff you uh everything changes so like everything i don't play into a character when i'm doing comedy 
So I would say 90% of all that's true. I just made it funny or I stretched it out a little bit too much. But the storyline is true when I talk about relationships. Those experiences are true. Doesn't mean that story is true, but the experience of how I felt, right? So when you talk about the lady with the big hairy bush. That's true. That is true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you did go down on her. Of course. Because <laughs> you were a gentleman and you got stuck. <laughs> Freaking hysterical. Well, see, like when I started, you know, uh, having intercourse as a young man, they didn't shave back then, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. And then now, so like, you know, when they started and then you're in your like mid 20s and then someone comes out, you're like, hmm, so that's back. <laughs> So that's back in style, isn't it? Like you're not embarrassed? Like, <laughs> no. Me neither. All right, let's <laughs> go. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Hey, everyone. It's just Doc jumping in here real quick to say thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. If you're enjoying it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you get a chance, head over to our social media. All links can be found in the description. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash We Are Podcast. And with that, back to the podcast. I want to talk about your writing process a little bit. You did say earlier, mm-hmm. you know, by doing the podcast and mm-hmm. the radio show, you would write down your stuff. Is it the same thing now or do you write? Because you brought your book with you just in case it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll bring this just in case something's funny and I'll, and I'll write it down or maybe circle back to an issue that if we got off topic or I got off topic. You know, but uh, my writing process is uh, it's it's pretty general, man. The, the the real thing is this is I try to make myself laugh. Right. So where I do most of my writing is in the car when I take long trips and I'm on the road and I just start thinking about something that happened. And I'll try to I talk to myself a lot because I'm crazy. <laughs> right. Uh, or demon possessed. My dad swears hey. by it. You know what? We all got them. Some of them are just more creative is what it is. Yeah. So like as soon as I start laughing about it, I'll start building on that thought and then I'll write, I'll write some down or sometimes I'll put it in the phone. I try not to do it in the phone. I like to write longhand. And then what I'll do is I'll take that to my friends or whatever and try to make them laugh. Now, this is before I was a comedian. For some reason, I was already acting like one because I, I couldn't wait to get to the bar. I would never go to the clubs because first I felt like it was a job. That's where I made money, right? And the bars is where I had my friends and I could talk and, you know, you can hear me and, you know, it's more conversational. So I used to love to go to the bar and invite everyone out and then try to make them laugh about things I've been thinking about all week. Oh, that's genius. Right? And I would just try it out on them, right? Or I'd watch a movie and something about it was funny and then I'll try to relate it to some story that I have that or experience. And then I would just practice and practice and practice. And then when they would all come around, I would just go at them, you know? Yeah. And if they laughed, I'd be like, hell yeah, you know? I wasn't trying to be a comedian. I never wrote it down or nothing like that. So you don't, you don't retain any of that? That was just something you were doing as like a for that, fun? That's something I always, I always did. Just always did. So like that's how my brain works. And then there's times where after I write it down or I work it out, then I'll try it on stage. And if it works on stage, I record everything mm-hmm. on stage. Audio, uh, I hardly do video, but I definitely have audio going all the time because then I can listen to that and then I'll give myself tags, you know, and then what I'll do is I'm like, I'm going to put this in my set. Like, I like this one. This one's a, this is a gold bar right here. So what I'll do is I'll type it out and then I'll add it to the set and then I'll print out my whole set, right? And I'm a little over 45 minutes right now. 
So I'll print out my whole set and then I'll just go through it and I'll just start rewriting it, mm-hmm. you know, and crossing this out and circling this or I'm going to try this tonight. Did you find that hard when you memorize it to rememorize it with the changes or is that simple for you? Mm-hmm. Or does that make it exciting to try something new? Well, one thing that, that I've never done and everyone's different and I don't knock anyone for doing this, but one thing I've never done, not even at an open mic, you'll never see me read off my phone or read off a notebook. I go up there and I force myself. I have a, like a like a do or die uh, mentality. Like you're gonna get up there, you're gonna do it, or you're gonna die because you're stupid and you can't remember. <laughs> you know, so I I have to light a, a fire under my. If I don't do that, then I'll just get lazy. You know, when it comes to memorizing it. So my main thing is I don't want to look stupid. So then I gotta just brand it in my brain. So a lot of times I won't even prepare. I'll just I won't even think about it till it's time to get up there wow. because I've been preparing the whole time before. You know? And then you get up and it's just like a rocket ship. You just take yeah. off. Are you even going to open mics anymore? Is that a thing that you do, or is a are you at that point where you're probably at that point where you don't need to anymore, right? I probably don't need to, but I do. You know, I host two of the biggest open mics in DFW. Uh, where are those at? One's at Comedy Arena in McKinney mm-hmm. on Mondays. We get really, really packed. And what time is it? We started at 8 okay. and sign ups at 7.30, but you can message me if you want to get a spot, you know, and I'm not strict. I go straight by whoever's in order. You know, I don't play the politic game with nobody when it comes to an open mic. And then I have one in Deep Ellum at Will Call Bar Very on Tuesdays. Nice. Yeah. And um, there was a time during the pandemic when no one was really doing it, man. And I had six mics going all at once. Oh, wow. Every single day. Wow. So you got a lot of practice in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I make sure that, you know, I'm on stage at least five times a week, you know. And most of the time, sometimes I'll just, even while I'm working, plus I'm hosting all the mics, right, sometimes I'll go straight 20 days nonstop, you know, 21 days, you know. And even on my days off, like usually it's a Sunday, I'll find something somewhere. Hey, man, give me 10 minutes, you know. And how long has it been you've been doing this? Five years. Five years. Well, three years out here and two years in prison. In prison? So yeah. You, you, so I know that you went to jail for a little bit. I went bit to prison. Time. You went to prison. like yeah. you went to, And then you joke about that on stage. Like, oh, you yeah. You tell lots of jokes about that. What was it like? Is that kind of you got started here and then you went to prison? And then how do you do stand up in prison? Well, this is a really cool story. So like I said, the same process that I used to do before I was a comedian and I would just try to make people laugh. That's something that's just natural. Once I find my group of guys, right, or whoever, and everyone knows who I am, whatever, I'll go to rec. I, I, I let people know straight up. One thing that I, I had learned is when you say you're something, everyone expects you to be that. So you put pressure on yourself to have to live up to it, right? So when people, first thing they ask when you're in there, hey, man, what do you do out there in the world, right, in the free world? Well, I'm a comedian. Shut, shut up, bro. <laughs> you don't even look funny, bro. Well, tell me something funny, right? And I'll be like, I'll tell you something funny when we get out the wreck. Why don't you tell some of the guys to come meet me over there at the table or whatever, right? Then you have five, ten people there. Same like a real dead open mic. Yeah. But they're all interested and they're intrigued because we're in prison. Yeah. They want to laugh, <laughs> right? So then I try out and I'll get them laughing and then I'm like, running out of material (laughs) i better start writing and then i I bought this book it's called mastering stand-up by stephen rosenfield and uh, stephen rosenfield started the first comedy institute it's called the american comedy institute in manhattan back in the 80s he's revered by some of the top comedians you know jim gaffigan is Mm -hmm. of course Um, jim gaffigan left 
I guess it was called Gray Advertising. He left that to become a comedian, and he studied with Stephen Rosenfeld for two years. There's so many names I can name right now. But anyway, so I read the book. I fell in love with that book. I, I had it like a Bible, right? And I had stacks of comedy books on writing and stuff. It's helped me get away from my situation, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was just like, you know what? I'm going to write this guy. I had nothing else to do, right? Yeah. So I wrote him. I had called a family member and I told them, I was like, hey, get me the address to the American Comedy Institute. And he got the address online because it wasn't in the book. And then I sent a letter. Um, There was an interview that was done about me, Danny Gallagher. I don't know if you know him from the Dallas Observer. So he did an interview before I got locked up, right? So then someone sent that interview to me, sent me two copies, right? So I sent Steven Rosenfeld one copy so that way he knew I was legit. And I told him why I was in prison and no, 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 whatever. Just it was, it was a long letter, right? I remember my celly telling me, he's like, you know, he's not going to read it, bro. You know? <laughs> you know? And then I was just like, so what, man? I'm just putting it out there, yeah. you know? You never know unless you ask. In a way, you were doing the same thing. You were saying, I'm going to take a chance and just see what Taking happens. Taking a chance, yeah. And then he wrote me back. What'd he say? It was a personal letter from him, straight from him. It wasn't no generalized letter, nothing. He just said he, he was asking me about different things in prison. And then he said, he goes, are you doing stand-up in prison? Right? He goes, let me know if I can help. Right? Wow. He goes, you really made my day. No, no, no. And I still have all the letters. When I got out, they did another interview, Dallas Observer, and they have the letters put out online so if y'all want to check those out so this whole time i just have this head high on it right i'm using the letter from the author of the book as a bookmark to my favorite book (laughs) so that just constant reminder yeah (laughs) i was just like i'm on the right path and then like two days later i read it again i was like oh he put a question mark that means i need to write him back is there anything i can do to help so I did, and I told him, I was just like, you know, um, I'm pretty sure a lot of guys out here, I mean, they, they would love to see stand-up, and it would be beneficial for everyone, for the staff and for the prisoners. We have all the capabilities, you know, and the resources. We have a chapel. We have a stage. There's a PA system. We got people willing to hear, but the thing is, these people, that the guards and all that, they don't talk to me, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I've asked, and they've said no so many times, and... I've put out kites and all that stuff and never got a response. So then I got transferred to another unit. I got accepted by Baylor University for this business course. And I got accepted to this private unit out in Cleveland, Texas. I guess he found me and wrote me over there. Oh, wow. And then we started writing. And then he sent me copies of what he wrote, the PP director from the the program, and then also the warden. And then one day I get a... A, a little slip says that I got to see the warden. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, I don't think they know that I was doing those things. <laughs> so anyway, I went to go see the warden. And then uh, he starts telling me, he was like, who's this Steven Rosenfeld and stuff? And I, you know, I told him and he goes, so you want to do a comedy show here, right? I was like, yeah. I said, well, actually, I mean, we could probably do a talent show. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of talented guys in here that love to express themselves. And then he goes, uh, okay. He goes, um, we'll do it at the gym. How much time do you need? I said, about a month and a half. And I organized it and I put it together. And it was, it was pretty bad, dude. Wow. And then ever since then, there was a guy named Ginger Vet, and he was part of education. He came to me. He was like, man, I love stand-up comedy. He goes, I know they don't let you cuss up there. Right. He goes, but you can come to my class. He goes, I have three classes a day with 30 people in each class. 
And he goes, you can you can work it whenever you want. You can say whatever you want. That is awesome. So man. then what I would do, I would hit Tuesdays and Thursdays, right? And I would hit three classes, so still six times a week. And that's where most of the material that you hear now, I threw out a lot of old stuff. Mm-hmm. But most of the material that you hear now, at least 30 minutes of it comes from from writing in there. That's crazy that you that you found a way to workshop within such a situation. You uh, know what I mean? And so as soon as you got out of prison, did you run to the stage? Yeah, I did. And then, well, I tried to. I got out March 25th, 2020. So it was right <laughs> in the lockdown. <laughs> I was so pissed. I was like, how the f- do I do two years of lockup and the whole world's on lockdown? You yeah. know, I'm just like, I'm <laughs> stuck make, again. It doesn't know? make any sense. Yeah, but once things opened up in May, I threw the first independent comedy show in the nation. Uh, the Improv in Houston threw the first show was the day before mine in the nation. It was in Houston. And then I threw one out here. It was a an old place, and I'm pretty sure you might be familiar with, called Hat Tricks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they were one of the only bars that, that were still open, and I knew Jason and all them. And we sold, I think we were only allowed 80 people in that building, and we sold out. <laughs> it was cool. It was it was. It's a pretty cool show. Tony Casillas was on it. Jamie Gravy was on it. I think Gretchen was on it. It was me, Zach Sprung. It was a fun show. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a decent list of comedians right there. So yeah. that would have been a blast. I keep thinking this as we were talking. I love the story. Thank you very much. What is the craziest show you've ever been part of? Like either the crowd going nuts or just like chaos behind the scenes. What was it? You know? Oh, there's a lot of that, man. <laughs> there's some what do you want to hear? You wanna hear like like the most successful ones, or do you want to hear like the most violent ones, or uh, the go, most weird ones? Yeah, let's go the weirdest one. I think. Uh, well, that one's kind of violent. All right, <laughs> <laughs> just whichever one you want to tell. It doesn't matter. Um, well, a lot of the smaller shows are are kind of you know there's different things that happen, but I, I would have to say the coolest thing that I've done in my career so far is when I got out of prison. I mean, I was producing sometimes three shows. Friday and Saturday at different locations. So I have this thing called Comedy Junkie Society. So everyone's working. I was keeping all the comedians working that I work with in my network, right? Mm-hmm. We were gaining some popularity. My name started really kind of moving around. And this was like in November. A guy had saw me headline and he came up to me and he goes, hey, man, he goes, I really like your your comedy. And I was like, that's what's up. He goes, I'm the president of uh, Number Juan Tequila for Texas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ron yeah. White's uh, brother-in-law is that or something like that? Well, Ron White's brother-in-law is the main owner. Oh, that's and right. Him and Ron White are partners. That's Alex Raimundo. Well, this guy's the president for Texas, okay. and his name's Eduardo, right? And uh, we started chopping it up, and then he was like, man, I would love to sponsor some of your events. So I thought that was huge. Yeah. Right? And I was telling him, he was like, yeah, we don't even do comedy shows. And I was just like, it's owned by two of the biggest comedians <laughs> in the world <laughs> yeah, I don't do right and he was just like nah he goes nah especially since the pandemic and stuff and he was like uh he goes I'd love to to you know why don't you drop a proposal right so I did I sent it to him and we started negotiating and stuff and then he gives me a call I'm doing a show at this place called Bodega in Fort Worth he gives me a call and, I, and he goes hey Alex Raimundo wants to speak with you directly now I grew up watching Alex Raimundo as a young man, you know, <laughs> he's one of the Latin kings of comedy. Right. You know, it was, it was him, George Lopez, uh, Paul Rodriguez, and Joey Medina, mm-hmm. right? I was like, yeah, of course. So I talked to one of the comics. I was like, man, host the rest of the show, please. I said, there's an important phone call coming. So I went outside, and I was waiting for it, and then my phone rang, and 
you know, it was Alex. He was, yeah, is this George? And I was like, yeah. He was like, this is Alex Ramundo. And I was like, all right. So we started chopping it up. <laughs> he goes, I don't know about this deal, man. He goes, I don't know if it's, it seems like it could work. He goes, but uh, we were talking for about 30 minutes. He was asking me about my, you know, my business experience on the producing side and all that and me as a comedian and stuff. And then he goes, he goes, I have an idea. He goes, why don't we move this, uh, this deal to something more of a hybrid? And I was like, what's that? He goes, well, I haven't done comedy this this whole pandemic. He goes, everything's locked down here in Tennessee. Right? He lives in Nashville. And he goes, you know, he goes, it just didn't feel safe at the time. He goes, but things are opening back up. And it seems like you got a good handle on Texas. And I was like, yeah. And then he goes, how about, he goes, I want to kick off my tour. He goes, can you put January together for me? And then you open up for me. Wow. Right? He wow. goes, help me kick off my tour. Right? I was like, yes. <laughs> he goes, great. He goes, I'll come down in the bus and pick you up, and then we'll just, <laughs> you know. And I was just like, I'm already going to be on a tour bus, bro. <laughs> and then uh, January started, right? And, man, he had, he was so open with information, and he was a very nice guy, man. That January, uh, that one month we were supposed to do business together went all the way until the middle of May. Wow. So that was this year or last year? 2021 2021 mm -hmm. wow so what what was that like how many places did you perform you know everywhere dude. everywhere yeah and I, I was the one that was putting all the shows together and this is like when big comedy had started doing things over there in uh, austin mm -hmm. so they had the vulcan you know vulcan's real popular with comics mostly everyone knows what that is um but this was before they had kill tony there but it was still they still had big names and stuff and it was awesome man it was really cool you so know. have you performed at the majority of clubs within Texas then? Yeah, Texas, uh, L.A., Santa Monica. Damn. Uh, just everywhere, man. Damn, damn. Well, one of the last things I wanted to ask you was, for comedians who are starting out, like people like me, who really have no idea what they're doing, what would your advice be to them? You know, you didn't take the route most taken by comedians. You definitely plowed your own way. What would you suggest to them to get started? First, you got to be in love with it and obsessed with it. And and the longest you're in love with it, you have to totally immerse yourself in it. And to tell you the truth, I don't think none of us have it figured out, you know. And I've only been doing it five years. So, you know, I, I'm still to another comic. I'm at the very beginning. You know, I've hit a marker, you know, a five year marker, you know. But I think the only thing that where I've seen success because I've seen success and failure, right, is knowing that failure is a big part of it. This is all about trial and error. This is about hitting your head against a brick wall, like literally. Oh, that's not brick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, like so many times, you know, and learning from failure. Failure is our greatest teacher, you know, and just staying consistent. I, I've always put it like this. Like uh, I read this in some book. I don't know what book it was, but like uh, captains that 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 steer ship, right? When a storm would hit and they would get lost at sea. They always had the North Star. The North Star would let them know their position. They would be able to find their way home. So your vision and your goal, right, if you want to be a comedian or whatever it is that you want to be, it has to be your North Star because no matter what happens, I know that if I'm going the right direction or I'm going the wrong direction. When I'm at a crossroads, it's very simple when you have a vision in front of it, right? Because you, you can say, I don't know what to do. But if you say, if I go this way, it brings me one step less closer to my vision but if i take this direction it brings me one step closer to my vision then obviously 
that's the right step. Motivational speaker. That's what you are. Too. <laughs> I watched some of your videos earlier, man. They're yeah. definitely motivational. Like you were getting in there and, and saying positive stuff and it's all positivity and, wow. and real, real too. You were kind of dropping it. Like if you're not going to work for it, it's not going to happen. So yeah. we're going to have a show coming up 23rd, 730. Yeah. Giggles before gobbles. It's going to be an awesome show. George Red Speaks is going to be the headliner. We're going to have so many other comedians on the show. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. You got to come check it out at the world famous Addison Improv. Anything you want to say to, to convince the people to come out to see you? Yeah, I'll give you a drop. November 23rd, 7.30 p.m. Giggles before gobbles. Got your boy George Red Speaks headlining. Jamie Gravy, Celine Rogers, Anna B, and Kevin Sutton, our Kevinly father. It's going to be an awesome show here at the Addison Improv, the best improv. Boom, drop done. And that's the end of the podcast, too. George, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you yes, so sir, much brother. for talking with me. With that, we'll see you on the next one. I don't have a tagline to go out with yet. So. <laughs> and that's the way the cookie crumbles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you very much. That was awesome. All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. And there it is. Thank you again so much for checking out the podcast today. If you enjoyed it, head over to your favorite podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and iTunes, and give We Are Podcast Network a like. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other podcasts here on the We Are Podcast Network. We have We Are Bagoo, a video game podcast where we talk Atari to Steam and everything between. That's me and Dr. Ethan Eastwood breaking down all that video game lore and having such a good time. Heroes, Jeros, a Dungeons and Distractions side quest. Me and the boys were playing some D&D. You can start that one from Season 1, Episode 1. It's a blast the whole way through. And I hate being sober. Personal stories from epic people. I sit down with some of my favorite people of all time. We talk about their trials, their tribulations, and their journey this far. And finally, our new live video podcast, Camp Slash Horrorcast, where we're going to have a roundtable discussion about our favorite horror movies. That'll be available on Twitch and YouTube, streaming every Monday at 8 p.m. Check the links in the description to find out what movies we'll be watching. Also, check the links in the description for our social media. You can find us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at backslash we are podcast network. With that said, thank you so much for checking out the podcast today. Please remember to support local comedy in any way that you can. We'll see you next time.